Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi there. Welcome back. All right. Plenty to get to, lots of audio to play also, in particular jab-related audio, but let me start with this, just kind of a quick little housekeeping thing. There's a little thing that I've noticed regarding Rumble when I upload my content on Rumble. Apparently, if you are logged into Rumble, you can see the podcast and the war videos first, as opposed to not being logged into Rumble. I'm not sure why that's the case, but again, if that's something that you've noticed, um, you know, it's certainly not my fault. I don't, I don't think it's anything on my end, but that, that's just a particular thing that I've noticed, that if you open up Rumble via my website and you're not actually physically logged into Rumble, then it won't show you the videos as they have actually been uploaded when I've actually uploaded them. So that's a bit strange, but apparently that's how Rumble works. Or again, it, it may be something on my end. But either way, if you do watch the content or listen to the content on Rumble, just understand that if you want to see it when it's actually uploaded, uh, you have to be logged into Rumble in order to actually see it. So there you go. Okay. Just wanted to get that out of the way. It's just a weird little weird little thing I've noticed. Uh, okay. I want to revisit the last episode when Robin was talking about what's going on at Marshall University, specifically regarding the enrollment and the fudging of the enrollment numbers. I'm not saying this because she was on my show, and, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to draw attention to this show or even her or myself or anything like that. I'm simply bringing this up because I do think this is remarkably important. I think that what she highlighted there is arguably one of the largest examples of fraud that is taking place right now at the university level, in particular under the entire umbrella of the pandemic and the bioweapon warfare. It's immensely important. It's, an, it's a pure open admission from the university itself that they're counting students as a singular student, as multiple students, depending on what they are enrolled in and what they are doing at the university. That if they're taking online classes, well, then they are counted as another student. This is beyond problematic. And again, it's an open admission of criminal fraud on the part of Marshall University, and we have to assume that they aren't the only ones doing this. In fact, you can, you can bank on it. Endless universities have to be engaging in the exact same kinds of tactics and methods in order to count multiple students so that they continue to receive adequate money to keep the lights on. Because there are few students attending these universities. Again, you've heard me say it here a million times. They've killed their customers. If their customers are the students and their staff members are there, of course, in order to do what they do, they're killing them off. They're making them, they're making them sick. They're making them ill. It's, it's game over. They've already done all of this. And now they're in cleanup mode where they're lifting their quote-unquote vaccine mandates. But it's too late. The damage is done. This is one of those stories that you're not hearing endless people talk about who you would think would bring this up immediately. But 
you've also heard me say here that the subject of education and the fraud that goes on is one that many people believe that they are qualified to talk about and, and bring up with regularity, whether it be the Charlie Kirks of the world or the Chris Rufos of, of, of the world or whatever. But they're not mentioning any of this either because they don't know that it's going on. But they're not even asking the questions. They're not even asking what is actually occurring within these universities regarding this subject. They've stayed away from the COVID bioweapon stuff by and large. They're not bringing it up. And they're not bringing it up again in the field of education. What that has done to the K-12 apparatus, what that has done to the university apparatus, and how both of those avenues of seeming education, we know it's brainwashing, but it's destroying both of them. And they're both crumbling. So my question is, for the Charlie Kirks and the Chris Rufos out there, are they interested in maintaining the corrupt system as it is by just haphazardly mentioning a story like what libs of TikTok would bring up? Oh, look, another purple, you know, purple haired tranny is talking about indoctrinating their kids in the classroom. Let's just talk about that one more time. Or are they really interested in diving in a little deeper? And maybe talking with someone who actually works within these campuses and making serious observational notations as to what's taking place, what's going on, how few students are there. They're not getting them back. They're raising tuition. We know that the interest rates on bank loans is remarkably high. So getting a student loan, I mean, you're, you'll be paying for it forever at this point. Not to mention, again, if, if certain schools still have vaccine mandates or bioweapon mandates in place, then they're screwed. They're screwed one way or another. They're going to end up dead and in debt. But none of those individuals on those large platforms are bringing it up. None of them are talking about it. None of them. It's never mentioned on Fox News. It's never mentioned on, again, the seeming uh, alternative media when it comes to, again, like Real America's Voice and these other places. They're not touching it with a 10-foot pole. This is enormous. That's absolutely enormous. And you heard Robin say it was basically an open admission. They were like, well, yeah, we're counting them like this and we're counting them like that. So one student turns into four. I just don't think they're going to be able to hide this. They can do a number of things. Again, they can move particular chess pieces around. They can play the shell game all they want. It's not going to work. But as Robin brings something like that up, I can't help but think of all the other people who aren't talking about it. All these other, again, massive media organizations, they're not, they're not putting the pieces together. For some reason, and I, I, don't, I don't know what it is really, but for some reason, the avenue of education is not one that they dive into. They dive into the airline pilots. They dive into the insurance industry. They dive into the mortuary business. They dive into all these different lines of work, the medical profession. <clears throat> Excuse me. They dive into all of these, but they don't dive into the education profession and what's actually happening with children, staff members, uh, again, young adults, 18 and over who are attending college. And 
how the number of people who are enrolled in these universities is rapidly declining, not to mention the number of people teaching within, within them rather is rapidly declining, and that it's all shot-related. All of this is shot-related. So thank God the show is called American Education FM, and, th- and thank God for Robin McCutcheon and our relationship uh, and getting to know her over the years. And uh, being able to talk about what's actually happening on these university campuses, because again, it doesn't pass the eyeball test. You heard me say again here at Miami University, one of the things that they did is they claimed that they had the largest freshman enrollment that they've ever had. I don't believe that. I don't believe that in the slightest. And then, of course, they got caught. They got caught the moment that they started to engage in their public relations tour, essentially, that we need to promote Miami University on YouTube and we need to promote it on billboards and we need to get out there and tell everybody about Miami University and send people out to different states and different counties and tell them to come here. That was never a thing. That was never something that occurred. Again, most people heard about Miami University in the tri state area, or you had family members who attended here and they live in other states and then they would show up. You would never need a promotional tour of any kind or put a bunch of money into promoting your university before now, before all the COVID nonsense. But now they have to do that. And it's not because, it's not just because of their policies that they put in place that people couldn't stand. And I mean, that's not it. It is because of loss of life. That's why. They're killing their customers. And now, as a cleanup event, the university, certainly Marshall, and again, they can't be the only one, are engaging in a massive, fraudulent expedition in an effort to receive as much money as they were receiving before with clearly a massive fraction of the students missing, but just as long as they can find ways to count them more than once. They can't possibly be allowed to do this. This has to be against the law. Again, I'm not a lawyer, but is anybody else looking into this? Is this the first time that we've heard about this? Because I'm not hearing about this on any other show anywhere else. I'm not hearing anybody who works within these universities say what Dr. Robin McCutcheon just said in the last episode. It's massive. This is just massive. And it's not going to get better. The less people that show up and the more visually obvious it is that no one is on these campuses, the universities are going to have to engage in a level of gaslighting like never before. And they're going to have to do so on the opposite end of the spectrum. They were engaging in the gaslighting when it came to getting everybody jabbed. COVID's going to kill everybody. We're all going to die. That was the message. That was enough gaslighting right there, and it swooped up a lot of different people, scooped them right up. Now, they have to engage in a level of gaslighting in order to cover up what they've done. Because again, at face value, it's painfully obvious. It's obvious that no one is on these campuses. You even heard Robin say it. She goes, you know, I haven't really paid attention to it, but the last time we talked, you said, you know, bounce around the campus and you know, at, at certain times of the day and take a look as to who's walking around and who isn't. She goes, sure enough, there's hardly anybody walking around. It looks nothing like it used to. This is, this is a giant intentional. This is not an accident. So 
It'll be interesting. Just keep in mind, you heard it here first. You heard Dr. Robin McCutcheon bring it up here first regarding the university fraud with the cover-up of student enrollment and fudging the numbers in order to make it look like they have more students there when clearly they don't. And let's pay attention to who else is going to bring this up. Are these other major media outlets going to touch this one with a 10-foot pole? I highly doubt it. Again, even One America News or Newsmax or Real America's Voice, are they going to touch any of this? I doubt it. I doubt it. Again, I just can't wrap my head around why they seem to think that talking about all these other lines of work, all the, you know, again, whether it be retail, you know, the box stores, uh, the medical industry, the airline business, all of them. Why is it that they cover all of those, but they don't, they don't look into, I should say, they don't look through the COVID lens at the, at the field of education. They just don't, they don't see it. Again, you've heard me bring it up here because it's frankly the basis of the entire show, the complete collapse of American education as we know it. But why is it that they don't do that? Is it because they can't? Is it because they don't want to? Is it because they won't? I don't get it. I mean, I'd like to think that here on the show, I, I'm, I'm filling a hole that, that clearly exists because these people aren't touching it at all. I just don't know why. Because it can't get more obvious. Again, you've heard me say that the education business is the root of evil here when it comes to the indoctrination and brainwashing and getting people to believe things that are not real. It, 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 I mean, it's the shackles by definition. So while we're trying to take off the shackles, why don't you look through the same lens that you're looking through with all these other lines of work? And on the side of that lens or that giant telescope, it says, you know, the COVID hoax, the bioweapon warfare, the depopulation agenda. Why don't you look at the education field the same way? Why aren't they doing that? And why am, why am I doing that? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I'm glad I'm doing it. Somebody has to do it because clearly they're not. I don't know. I'm rambling at this point, but that's, uh, that's my take on it. So what Robin brought up is, incredibly important. It's huge. It's it's huge. There's no way around it. So it's too corrupt to fix. They're too embedded. And now they're engaging in a level of fraud to cover up what they've done. And this right here is a nice little lesson on lying. This is what happens when you lie. You have to keep lying. You can't all of the sudden stop, tell the truth. Well, we're sorry we killed all of you and that's the way that that is. Now, please put your faith in us because, yes, we tricked you the first time, but we won't ever trick you again. And, you know, this is the university wavelength of thought and the K-12 wavelength of thought. You cannot maintain these institutions. You can't. And you again, you heard Dr. McCutcheon say that they're moving to an online environment. That Marshall is moving to a primarily online environment, certainly within certain schools. That's not one of those things that, again, is, is, is going to work out for them in the long run, specifically when it comes to bringing more actual human bodies back to a brick-and-mortar campus. When a person receives a degree in an online environment, you never go back to a brick-and-mortar campus. You don't do it. 
Just like homeschooling, when a person homeschools, you don't wake up at 6 in the morning, take a shower, put your clothes on, get on a school bus, and drive to a brick-and-mortar school ever again. It doesn't work that way. These universities are going to have to go to an online institution, which means they're going to have a bunch of empty brick-and-mortar buildings, and it's going to cost them way too much to keep the lights on. They're going to have to start selling those buildings to other people and other businesses or agencies or whatever, turn them into hospitals. You've heard me bring up all those different options of what they're going to have to do with the buildings. It's never ending. This isn't going to get better for them. I think it's remarkably interesting. And I again, I think that this is one of the biggest stories that is not being discussed. But that's just my two cents. I could be wrong. Okay. A number of other education-related things here. First of all, just very quickly, apparently Georgetown University is erecting a mosque on its campus. Georgetown University is the largest Catholic university. I'm sorry, not the largest. It's the oldest Catholic university that exists in America. And a mosque right in the middle of uh, the campus somewhere. So what could possibly go wrong? Um... Let me mention this, too, about the Crumbly case, and I think I've brought this point up before, but if I haven't, I, I want to reiterate it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Can't clear my throat here. The Crumbly case is interesting, in my opinion, as you know, for a variety of reasons in Michigan, because the parents are still locked up. The parents are still locked up. The trial has not taken place yet. I forget when it's scheduled to take place, but it certainly hasn't taken place yet, and I will bring that to everyone's attention when the time comes, because I'm going to follow that trial for a variety of reasons. Because you know, again, that the school employees are going to be on the stand testifying and be cross-examined and a number of other things, and that really is where the juice is in the whole case as far as I'm concerned. I'm certain that a lot of people, again, would point to Ethan Crumbly's journal, and, well, he wrote this and he drew that. I don't think that that's the biggest issue. I think the biggest issue is the message that they're trying to send to every American parent, certainly in the state of Michigan, that if your child engages in an illegal act, whether it be, well, frankly, anything, certainly in this case, murder, um, that we're going to lock up the parents. We're going to go right into the house. We're going to lock up the parents. And if the parents have any connection to the weapon or they have any connection to, again, the well-being of the child. We're going to lock up the parents. We're going to take this to court. We're going to stretch it out, and you're going to be in shackles in a jumpsuit the entire time before uh, you know before your trial takes place. I think it's an absolute abomination. They're not a flight risk. They know that they are going to be facing trial. I don't think they're suicidal because a psych evaluation would certainly be part of the process. In particular, while you're in jail awaiting awaiting a trial, but it's just to send a message. This whole thing is just to send a giant message that even if you're found innocent after the trial, don't worry, you've been in jail for a couple of years, and this is going to be your future in the state of Michigan if you're tied to anything that your children have done. It's absolutely outrageous. And again, shame on any judge that has allowed it to, go, to basically go this far. I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked, but it's corrupt. So I guess I'm not shocked in that regard. Okay, well, with that aside, real quick here, this is from One America News, and this was tossed my way 
from last Thursday, and uh, this has to do with the state of Colorado, and it says, according to reports, the Colorado Education Association, the CEA, passed a resolution that affirms that their belief that capitalism inherently exploits children, public schools, land, labor, and resources. It says the CEA believes that capitalism requires exploitation of children, public schools, land, labor, and or resources, and that capitalism is in opposition to fully addressing systemic racism and the school-to-prison pipeline, climate change, the patriarchy, gender and LGBTQ disparities. It says education inequality and income inequality. The blame game, ladies and gentlemen. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. It, it, it doesn't... It doesn't neglect those things. It's unfortunately highlighting the mental illness that exists within those organizations, specifically education, and what these individuals are believing. And then, of course, the result that they're producing. So at the bottom of the article, it says this. It says, the most recent results of U.S. national test scores indicated substantial losses in math and reading revealing an overall learning loss among American students. Yes. And no, it wasn't COVID. It wasn't the pandemic. This has to do with parents believing that government is the best parent and that government is the best teacher. And clearly, they aren't. It says, according to recent reports, math skills have plunged to their lowest levels ever while reading scores dipped to levels not seen since 1992 for fourth and eighth graders nationwide. Between 2019 and 2022, students' math scores in the fourth grade dropped by an average of five points. For eighth, grade, for eighth graders, rather, the score decreased by eight points. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona responded to the national test results saying that the data show how institutions need to step up their efforts and use the billions of funds that Congress provided schools as a response to the pandemic. To help pupils recover. No. Nope. It can't be fixed. It can't be fixed. And money isn't going to fix it. They continued and it says some parents are reportedly coming down on educators and blaming them for the drop in scores. Yep. It says they claim that teachers' consistent use of facial masks since 2020, as well as growing emphasis on gender, race, and queer lessons are overriding the math, science, and English lessons that guardians feel their children should be excelling in. I understand the blaming of the masks, but it's bigger than that. It's child abuse. It's child abuse. When you abuse the mind of a child, and you abuse the people who are responsible legally for protecting when they're away from their parents, and of course, allegedly educating them, when all of those brains have been abused and all of those people are around one another, you, you are not going to have a healthy working environment. You're not going to have a healthy living environment or a learning environment. It's just not how it's going to work. It ends with this quote from a professor of linguistics at the University of Nevada, Reno, a Dr. Friedland. They said, with masks comes muffling and even more problematic no-mouth visibility, something that has significant impact on how well we can decipher what someone says. While masks may keep us safe, 
from a linguistic perspective, they open up a can of comprehension worms, unquote. No kidding. That's the understatement of the century. The problem, of course, which you've heard me bring this up too, is much of the literacy curriculum that exists in American K-12 schools is computer-based, and it doesn't have children actually saying anything out loud. They're reading in their head. They're looking at words. They're hearing a computer voice tell them the pronunciation of words, but they aren't hearing their own voice say it. That's immensely critical. That's why reading out loud matters when you're trying to get a child to learn how to read and become proficient and comprehend. You have to start reading out loud first, but again, the systems that they have set up are, con- it, you know, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's just embarrassing. They're constantly reinventing the wheel. And as we all know, and this is again beyond obvious, they've normalized child abuse. It's that simple. Shocking how no one's taking, you know, taking a test very well these days and achieving at some high level. Well, no kidding. The information is based on lies and they're in an abusive environment. What do you expect? It's astounding. But let's blame capitalism, you know, just because. Here was another one. Uh, This was an abomination too, and I want to dive into this briefly. This was on Fox News also. So let me read this tweet real quick from a Sarah Fields. It says, in Plainview ISD, Plainview South Elementary School in Plainview, Texas, a first grade little girl was sexually assaulted by multiple boys in her classroom with the teacher in the room. It was filmed on an iPad. If you're wondering why you have not heard about this, the family had the same question. The school decided to not tell the family of the victim. It says the parents did not know until they saw a concerning change in their little girl's behavior. She wasn't sleeping, always anxious, and simply not herself. They began to ask her questions, and she finally told them what happened. After approaching the school, the staff revealed that they knew. When they spoke to the superintendent, they were stonewalled. Superintendent Sanchez then spoke with KCBD, and he stated that he did, quote, everything that was required of him, unquote. If you are a student or you have a student in Plainview ISD, just know that these people will protect themselves before they protect a first grade child. The school has shut down its social media and its website. The iPad is being hidden. School has also been canceled on May 8th due to pushback and outrage shown by the community. I will update on this story as it progresses, they said. And then this made its way to Fox News. It says parents in the Texas school district are demanding answers from school officials after first graders allegedly forced their six-year-old classmate to perform a sex act while they filmed it despite a teacher being in the classroom. Family members of the girl involved are planning another protest at 6 p.m. on Friday. And then it says that A Heather Gonzalez, an older cousin of the six-year-old girl, told KCBD that the girl's family noticed a sudden change in her behavior amid indications of distress and complications of a stomach ache. Uh, Let's see. The girl reportedly revealed that a boy had exposed himself to her in the lunchroom and that she had also been pulled under a desk and pressured to perform a sex act while another student recorded with a district issued iPad. He said, quote, 
She said she was hitting him with the poetry book, said Gonzalez, noting that the video showed her cousin did her best to fight back. The girl reportedly claimed the incident did not stop until they let me go. Gonzalez claimed that the school district has not provided adequate answers. She said, quote, everything was no comment. I cannot tell you no comment. Where are the police? Are the police involved in any of this? This is what happens when you don't get the police involved. But th- th- this raises, frankly, a much larger question and, and, a, and a larger topic, which I want to bring up here. Given the location of the school and knowing what's going on at the border and how we're being invaded by Mexicans and a thousand other people from numerous countries. An act like this taking place in school unfortunately happens with regularity, but there's an element of this that is slightly different, and I'm hypothesizing here and and theorizing, so bear with me on this angle. We know that there are copious amounts of illegals who make their way into the American K-12 school system because they're legally allowed to be there, whether they speak English or not. What we also know is that many of those illegals are told by their traffickers to provide money back to them in a specific amount of time. We also know that child trafficking is a massive element in all of this. So, is it possible that not only were they engaging in a sex act against a minor, or an attempted sex act against a minor, certainly physically assaulting them at the very least, um, are they doing this and recording it on an iPad for the purpose of sending said information to a trafficker so that traffickers know where these abused people are? And is that being used in lieu of paying back a trafficker with cash, but you're providing the location of minors who have been abused, and now they know where to come and get them? Now, that might sound convoluted, and it might sound a little, oh, I don't know, a a little out there, but I wouldn't put it past any of these people, to be honest, and I wouldn't put it past a superintendent of a school district to be working with a cartel. And I wouldn't put it past the elected officials, school board members, certainly given the location down there, that there wouldn't be a chance that they would be working hand in hand with traffickers and cartel members. Because again, money talks. And if they want to get paid and they're evil people, well, there you have it. Again, look what the entire profession did over the last three years. Child abuse is commonplace for many of them. It's commonplace. They do it now without even thinking. So what's child trafficking? What's allowing a sex act to take place in a, sc- in, in a classroom while a teacher is there? There's, there's just more to this story, I think, than what meets the eye. It's heinous at face value. But I just feel like there's way more to this. I feel like this is a rabbit hole that gets real deep real quick. Again, these are not environments for minors. These are not, these are not safe environments for anyone. Jabs included, shedding included, all of it. These are not safe environments, period. 
I just don't understand what more has to happen. And again, people read this and they say, well, that would never happen to my kid or my kid would fight back or my kid would tell somebody or whatever else. You don't know that. You don't know that. And it's a war. And the battlefield is the American K-12 classroom. The battlefield is the university campus. These poor children, my God in heaven. It does say in the article that law enforcement are involved, but again, can we trust law enforcement? Can we really trust them to not engage in human trafficking either? It says Plainview ISD Superintendent H.T. Sanchez told KCBD that the school made a report and contacted Texas Child Protective Services when school officials discovered video of the incident a day after it happened. He said a state investigator came to Plainview the next week and has been working with local law enforcement. They said, quote, he had asked that we hold confidentiality because he wanted to be sure that he was able to get the full story from each of the students, the minors that were involved, Sanchez said. All of the steps that were required to take, we took. Quick little side note, when you talk to a minor, as an investigator, you have to have a parent present. I don't know if any of you knew that, but that has to be a thing. Unfortunately. Many investigators, whether they work for the district or they're outside investigators for law enforcement, they won't contact the parents. They'll show up at a school when the students are in session and the parents are gone, and they'll start plucking students out one at a time from these classrooms, bring them into a room, record them for their investigation, write things down by hand, write down their name, what they say, etc., etc., and do all of that without the parent even being around. Hell, they might not even tell the parent that they pulled their child out and that they, you know, interrogated them as to what was going on. So the parents have to be present when children are being questioned by any investigator. Again, whether that be within the district or an outside agency like law enforcement. Since the district also released an extensive statement explaining that because minors are involved, the school system must be very careful in the information it provides. Says the statement assured that Sanchez, assistant superintendent, no way I get that name, uh, Pardo is her last name, and South Elementary principal Jennifer Huey have visited with the parents, guardians of families involved in a recent incident at South Elementary that is under Child Protective Services and Law Enforcement Investigation. It says the statement also noted that the alleged incident occurred away from the full vision of the teacher while she was working with other students. Ladies and gentlemen, how big are American classrooms? How is it possible that a minor girl was being sexually assaulted by one or more boys while it was being filmed with an iPad? and the teacher in the classroom wouldn't have a clue that it was taking place. Impossible is the answer. That would be impossible. So there's the excuse. I didn't know it was happening. I didn't know it was taking place. Believe me, believe me. It's disgusting. I'm sure I've told this story before. It bears repeating. Uh, when I was, I think it was my first year, as a school teacher. It was my first year. I had a student in my class 
who was a menace to society. Um, I'm certain that he's broken the law later on. In fact, I know he did and maybe did a slight stint in jail, at least for a little while. He had it written all over him. But he, uh, in the neighboring classroom across the hall, he took a pencil and he stabbed a kid who was another one of my students. But again, this wasn't in my classroom and it wasn't the time for them to be in my classroom. They were across the hall in another teacher's classroom. But he took a pencil and he stabbed the kid above his eyebrow. And then he drug the pencil straight down his eye and straight down his face in a, in a perfect straight line. And uh, I had, I think it may have been my break period, but I had three girls run over to me from the classroom. And they said, Mr. Brooks, so-and-so just stabbed so-and-so with a pencil. And he's got a huge mark on his face and he's crying and whatever else. I flew out of my seat. I ran across the hall. Uh, I went in there and he was covering his face with his hand. And he was, of course, visibly upset. Um, I've never seen a mark like that on a, on a kid's face before in my life. Certainly not before then. And I haven't seen it after, frankly. But it was akin to taking a knife to a kid's face and just slashing him right down the center of his face. Uh, you could see the puncture mark of where the pencil went in above his eyebrow. And then it was, again, straight down his eyebrow, right across his eyeball. Uh, fortunately, his eyeball wasn't scratched, but it, his eyelid certainly was. And then his cheek is where it dug in also. And the teacher was a female teacher. She was, she was in the room. In fact, and I mean this very literally, I can still smell the woman. She was, uh, she was friendly, believe it or not. She was friendly, but she was out to lunch. Mentally and emotionally, this woman was out to lunch. She was older, and she smelled like mothballs. It was gross, uh, as you can, I'm sure, imagine. But she was sitting at her desk, and I busted in, and I said, what the hell's going on? And then they all started pointing at the student who had done this. And then, of course, he started to lie and said he hadn't done it. And this right here, again, is the abusive environment and what it does to victims of abuse. The kid who was crying, who had his hand over his eye, and I think if memory serves, it was his left eye because he was right-handed. The other kid was right-handed. So, yeah. either way, um, with his hand over his eye and, and tears flowing down his face and gasping for air, I mean, it was one of those guttural cries. The kid was starting to deny that he had been attacked by this other student and was doing so to my face. After three girls ran over to me to get help because the other teacher in the classroom was ignoring the behavior of all of these students and not even paying attention to the fact that one of her students had been stabbed and slashed with a pencil on the face. This, of course, is a massive problem. I, I kept looking at the student and I said, he did it, didn't he? And he goes, no, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. And I was like, no, no, no. He did it, didn't he? And then the other kid who actually did it again kept lying and saying that he didn't do it. I took the kid down to the nurse and I ushered all of the students into my room. I called the resource officer. I got the resource officer to take the kid out of the other classroom where the, where, where the teacher was. 
again, it was their classroom, not mine. So I ushered them all over into my room. And uh, that's when the administration basically immediately ran to the room, started questioning the teacher, questioning what was going on, figuring out what was, what was actually taking place. And here's what ended up happening. The teacher got fired immediately. They were gone. They were gone that day. They never came back. I never saw them again. Immediately fired. The student who did the slashing, however, came back. See, and therein lies the problem. Therein lies the issue. What was interesting about that was, is that at the time, I remember having a meeting with the administrators along with a few other teachers. And it was kind of like a parent conference thing that would happen. It was very odd, but we would get together and we would talk with the school principal and the other administrators about particular students, concerns that we had about particular students, essentially. And certainly, I was the one who would bring up the most violent students. As it turns out, in that very meeting, I brought up that particular student who took the pencil to the other kid's face. And I said, this kid's going to get someone really hurt. He's violent. He comes from a violent, a violent home. He was black, as it turns out. I know that's shocking to some, probably not many. Single parent home. His mother was a prostitute and his, and his brother was a drug dealer. So, you know, kind of the perfect storm there, if you know what I mean. And uh, I brought this kid up and I'll never forget the principal's response. I, I simply said, I looked at the room. We're all sitting at this long conference table. Again, I'm a first year teacher. And I'm trying to point out some rather obvious things to individuals who are legally responsible for the safety of, of minors. Again, in lieu of the parent, because, of course, the parent's not around. And I said, this individual is going to get people seriously hurt. And there's an alternative school that exists in this district. Why don't we send this person there? Buses pick this person up just like every other bus picks people up. Send them to that school. You have a case against this student. You have a clear case against them regarding copious amounts of things. Keeping in mind, this was before the stab slash incident. And her response to me as the principal was, every classroom has a student like that in it. That was her answer. Every student has a classroom just like so-and-so. And I looked, I leaned forward, and I'll tell you what, I am as mad now as I was then, when she said that, I leaned forward and I said, that's not true. That's not true. This school has a student just like him, and it's him, and he's the problem, and you need to get rid of him. And she hated that. She hated it. Well, look what happened when they didn't get rid of him, when they could have. The, the kid would, had been in detention and in-school suspension and out-of-school suspension numerous times before. He had been warned constantly and verbally by the resource officer to stop putting his hands on people. He would even grab teachers. The kid was a menace to society, probably still is, assuming he's still alive. But all of those warnings came again from me and a few other people. Just a couple other people supported me. While the vast majority were like, well, we can't get a you know, we can't get rid of that one student, we'll lose a little bit of money. 
and we can't we can't afford that. Even though you're sending him to an alternative school, which is you know where people like him belong, they're they're essentially criminals without being charged with a crime yet. Point is, is after the stabbing incident, I became a genius. I all of a sudden became a genius. I knew what was going on in the classrooms. I knew what was going on with these students' behavior. And believe it or not, the principal did a total 180 and went from criticizing me to the very next year actually supporting me and going, this guy has it figured out. He knows what's going on. I'm not going to say another bad word about him. And I thought, good for you. Good for you. If you'd have just listened to me the first time, this kid wouldn't have a giant scar on his face now. So I guess in telling that, it is possible that a, that a teacher wouldn't know what was taking place, but again, they would have to be willfully ignoring it. And that's exactly what that teacher was doing, who of course got fired. They were willfully ignoring it. It was the end of the day, it was the last period of the day, and they wanted nothing to do with it. The students were out of their seats, they were bouncing around. And there you go. If you can't if you can't manage a classroom, you you can't be a school teacher. So, back to the sexual assault iPad thing, same thing. You need to clear you need to clean house. That school teacher needs to be gone and like I said, the rabbit hole in the whole situation is very suspicious. The the geographic location of some of these schools where the vast majority of them are Hispanic. I'm sorry, but uh it gives me the willies. It's it's remarkably suspicious to me. You have to assume that some of the children who are attending these schools have been trafficked, are currently being trafficked. We know that they are. I mean, that's been going on since the beginning of American public schooling, but it's ramping up. It's ramping up, and it's it's filling itself with more and more violent minors, foreign foreign violent minors, I should say. So the situation's not going to get better. I'm con- I continue to be blown away that people continue to send their children to these environments. It's nuts. Okay, enough of that rant. Here's another rant. I have more of them. I hope, uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm, I'm kind of in that mood today. Let's see. Jab-related things. This made, uh, m- made its way to me via AJ, and I saw this story. And then AJ sent me another story, uh, a personal observation that he made regarding a, a dinner party that he had at his house. But let me start with this first. Simone Gold is receiving some serious cover from the Gateway Pundit. And they ran a story on the Gateway Pundit, again, painting Simone Gold as the victim, that Joey Gilbert is taking over AFLDS. In a hostile takeover, and the Sheriff Mac, who was also sitting on the board at the time, of course, stole a bunch of money, took it out without telling anybody, and then it was assumed or alleged that he would be giving some of that money to Simone Gold under the table, because again, Simone Gold's using Sheriff Mac allegedly to take some of the money that uh, is separate from the money that she's already taken, allegedly, allegedly. All of that's remarkably interesting, I think, because again, it's exactly what the Kevin Jenkins guy, who ran the oversight committee of AFLDS, warned people about. He said, Joey Gilbert's not the problem here. He said, the problem is Simone Gold and now Sheriff Mack, because this Sheriff Mack guy has again taken all of this money. 
my biggest beef with this is this. Gateway Pundit is incapable of doing a real investigation regarding Simone Gold or Gateway Pundit is compromised because they're running cover for Simone Gold. Because again, do they not know the work that Renette Sunum has done on Simone Gold and AFLDS? Are they incapable of looking at it further? Because at face value, it's remarkably hinky. No one is, no one is surrounding themselves with Simone Gold anymore. Most people are staying as far away from her as humanly possible. Why is that? And why is it that the Gateway Pundit can't pick up on that? It's pretty obvious. Again, it's, it's, it's false equivalency. It's false equivalency all over again. You can't have people like Renette Sonnum and, and Kevin Jenkins looking into this, if I'm saying his name correctly. I think it's Jenkins. You, you can't have them looking into those issues with AFLDS the way that they have in uncovering copious amounts of just immoral behavior and, and flat out stealing and tricking people and then claiming that she's not tricking people. Also talking with Joey Gilbert, as Renette Sunum has done on her substack, and listening to him again, it's pretty incredible. The, the things that Simone Gold was warned to not do and kept doing it. And then you have the Gateway Pundit over here saying Simone Gold's a hero and they're trying to railroad her because she's a freedom fighter. Bullshit. It can't be both. It has to be one or the other. So which one stinks to you? Which person is going around touring, so soaking up money and taking money from copious amounts of people and, uh, and, and, and living in a multi-million dollar mansion in Naples, Florida with her you know, pseudo-gay boyfriend who wears sequins on his shoes and wears fur coats and tosses herself into the Capitol building and then lies about it? And says, well, I was just pushed in. You didn't look like you were pushed in when you had a bullhorn giving a speech uh, inside of the Capitol building on January 6th. She's a liar. She's pathological. So that's my two cents. But yeah, I'm just disappointed, continue to be disappointed in Gateway Pundit. They are not investigating anything. They're believing everything at face value. Simone Gold's a hero and Ashley Babbitt's dead. We need to believe these things because we say so. It's astounding. Absolutely astounding. Here's another one. Another little rant I have. Oh, actually, let, let me get to this. Let me get to AJ's story. This was jacked up and jab-related. Uh, he said this. Totally strange. But interesting because these people actually are figuring it out to some extent. Uh, let's see. He said the following, quote, Sean, I wanted to share with you some details of a conversation I had with my wife's friends and their husbands over dinner on Saturday, all of them foreign European born, and the husbands work in fairly high-level jobs for Apple, Google, and Amazon, respectively, while the wives are stay-at-home moms. We talked about the jabs with all of them double-jabbed. My wife and I were the only jab-free at dinner. None of the husbands are libtards, but they go along with the corporate wokeness. He said this. He said the wives shared their jab experience while the husbands kept quiet. Here's what they said. <laughs> this is amazing. It's just an incredible breakdown. He said, first wife, age 46, my immune system is shot. I get sick all of the time. 
Second wife, age 41. I get sick more too, and there is a lump in my neck when I get sick. Now that irritates me. I didn't have that lump on my neck before taking the shots. Third wife, age 37. Plastic surgery on face and breasts were obvious. Trophy wife for the high-level Amazon director husband. Smiley face. Smiley face typeset there. He said, I regret it. Or they said, rather, I regret it. Stopped after the second shot. My sister kept telling me every day not to take it. I got no benefit from it. I feel worse, like my immune system is weaker because of it. And then he said, AJ did, I think she's been red-pilled and someone who could be on our side with just a little encouragement. Uh, She also said, he said, that I took it because of science, but later learned there was no science behind it. And then AJ said the following. He said, I told everyone at dinner how COVID was a total scam done to control us and reduce population, that vaccines, all of them, are all risk, no benefit, and masks are nonsense. We knew before and after 2020 that masks don't work and idiots are still wearing them. Got no pushback from any of the husbands. One said, so you're a Republican. I said, actually a Trump Republican. The looks on their faces, smiley face again. He said, I never met with these people before Saturday. My wife is good friends with the wives. I felt like the others were both envious and maybe also upset that my wife and I are jab-free. One of the other wives used to tease my wife for being unjabbed. It's now obvious that all of them regret the jabs, regret getting the jabs, unquote. It's astounding. He also said this then. He said, Sean, a follow-up to the earlier story of the dinner party. The woman who gets the lump in her neck when sick was so scared and thought it might be cancer that she went to have it examined by a cancer specialist. Also, two of the other common female friends, also jabbed in their mid-40s, developed lumps in their breasts after, or in their breast, after getting jabbed and got it checked for cancer. All three of their results came back negative. But who really knows? Maybe they have cancer and the doctors are not telling them. Also, an aside, these wives at the dinner party are part of a larger group of stay-at-home wives who have lunch together monthly at one of their houses. They always take turns hosting lunch about seven to eight women. Anyways, they did not invite my wife to join their monthly lunches until recently because they know she's unjabbed and would not take a PCR test either. Who's eating crow now? (laughs) Yeah. It really is incredible. At least they know, or at least they certainly highly suspect what's going on. Uh, But it brings up another point too, which is these these PCR tests and these these quote-unquote COVID tests that people continue to buy and continue to take. Again, there was even a story bouncing around just a few days ago that the FDA's pulled yet another take-home uh, PCR slash COVID test, rapid antigen test off of the shelves. What is it that people don't understand about this? What is it that they don't get? There is no COVID, number one. Number two, the tests are faulty and always have been. It was a giant fraudulent scheme in order to fill their own pockets with these fraudulent tests, and they sold them 
to hospitals, universities, K-12 school districts, and they all spent money on these and laundered that government money. Again, the government paid those employment entities COVID cash in order for then that cash to be laundered through those districts and those universities and places of work and hospitals, etc., to then only make their way back to the fraudulent take-home test companies that are testing for something that doesn't exist. The tests are predetermined. They're all predetermined. They always have been. So it, uh, it, it blows me away. I just find it beyond ridiculous that people aren't paying attention to the timeline of events here. You know, again, that's the different wavelength and different dimension of thinking. Oh, oh, you're, you're taking a, a fake test off of the shelves or a, a COVID test that tells people whether or not they're positive or negative or tells their employer that they can stay home or go to work or whatever. Well, joke's on everybody. The test is fake. COVID doesn't exist. So what are you actually doing? It's, multiple, it's just multiple dimensions of lying that I can't believe people aren't even stopping and thinking about for a minute. Again, the take-home tests, it was the Binax tests, which, was, which were one of the biggest ones. Those were taken off of the shelves and taken back by the FDA in the summer of 2021 to only go into effect December of 2021. And yet, people still use those, and they're still offered in stores, and people keep buying them. What is it, again, about the basic paperwork that people don't understand? There isn't a test for COVID because COVID doesn't exist. It's, abs- I don't know, it's, it's beyond strange. It's just beyond strange. Let me tell you another story here. My dad was, both of my parents went to the doctors the other day. Um, you know, my dad just does this yearly blood work thing uh, for, for their insurance, and, and that's essentially it. He doesn't really have to do it, but either way, he went this particular time. And this, this is the exact same doctor, by the way, who I've brought up in the past, who, again, the last time I was there was a number of years ago. I want to say 2021, if memory serves. And he was full COVID, full panic, full jab, full mask. I mean, the guy's a degenerate, number one. Uh, sexual misconduct, among other things, which is why he's been his medical license has been suspended. But he continues to work inside of the building and administrate it allegedly, um, while another doctor is working there. But even to this day, he is full mask, full jab, all the way. The guy hasn't figured it out. He's uh, my my parents told me that. One of the, well, here's basically the way that it works, and I'll probably get this wrong, so my apologies if, if they're listening, and I'm sure they are. But uh, they, have, they still have a policy in place where if you don't wear a mask, you have to call from your automobile in the parking lot. No one else is doing this. I mean, no other doctor's office anywhere is doing this. But if you don't wear a mask in this doctor office, then you have to call a phone number. They, call, they tell you to come in. They usher you right back to a room, and the doctor who is working there, who is not the sexual deviant on suspension, uh, he isn't wearing a mask. This, this newer doctor is not wearing a mask at all. They said that there was another nurse who was behind the giant plexiglass window thing, and they weren't wearing a mask either. 
So why do you have two employees not wearing masks? And yet you have all of this literature on the front door that says don't enter without a mask. I'm telling you, cognitive decline were the, were the top five, at least top five symptoms of these, of these jabs in all of that Pfizer paperwork with all of those signs and symptoms. Cognitive decline. These people are not thinking. They're not looking around them and seeing what's really going on and then saying, whoa, wait, wait a minute. This seems a little hypocritical of us to be doing this. It's strange. Again, they're not thinking. They're gone. These people have just lost their minds. Here, here's another story, though, a bit of a wake-up story, which is kind of nice. My dad then went to this, uh, this eye doctor for this eye thing that he had going for a little while to help restore some vision in one of his eyes. And you heard me mention this story before, but all of these eye doctor offices are apparently all tied together. And there's a series of offices and then a board of doctors, and they all decide on whether or not they're going to wear masks or not. According to my dad, this was one of the last offices that is still wearing their masks. And what's funny is, is that not everybody's wearing a mask. He said that the nurse who was tending to him was completely awake, not jabbed. She said her husband wasn't jabbed, uh, a black couple, and that, and, and she wasn't wearing a mask either. And my dad asked her, you know, what's the deal with this one doctor still wearing his mask? And she looked at him apparently and just shook her head and she said, it's just about control. It's just about fear and control that somehow if he's wearing the mask, he knows more than we do about what's going on. And it's a preventative measure. So don't hassle him about, you know, wearing a mask and don't tell him not to because it's his decision and blah, blah, blah. She said he's, he's lost his mind. But again, some of the he said some of the my dad said some of the patients were were still wearing masks as they were coming in, even though he wasn't and the nurse wasn't, and they're talking about the ridiculousness of the masks in front of some of these people in the waiting room. I mean, these people have uh, yeah it, these are not survivable characteristics is my overall point. They they just can't be. You can't keep going through life blind as to what is going on around you. And just digging your heels in in your own illusion. And the more you dig your heels in, the more right you are. That's going to shorten a person's lifespan. It, uh, I don't know, it continues to shock me, but I love the stories. So definitely keep them coming. Again, if you have them, email me. I, I, love, I love reading them on the show. It's, it's always worth bringing up. Because again, there are people who are waking up, and then there are people who are falling further and further asleep than they've ever been. Which kind of brings me to this next rant. Uh, it's just that kind of an episode, I feel. You've heard me rail on the likes of Steve Kirsch before. And uh, I, I, have a, I have another one here. And I want to play this clip of Steve. And I want you to listen to the audio first, and then I'm going to chime in on the end, because this is, this is odd. This comes from the Vigilant Fox's uh, Twitter account here, at Vigilant Fox. And if memory serves, it was Tom Rents who said, you know, if you're going to follow somebody, it needs to be Vigilant Fox, and it needs to be Chief Nerd, and you know, th these other Twitter accounts, because these Twitter accounts are putting out really good information. I'm not doubting that from time to time. 
But you know that one of the things that grinds my gears is this COVID illusion and the illusion of viruses, that viruses are not real, and that the people who continue to peddle that they are, are actually perpetuating the problem. That we have to reach another dimension of thinking and knowledge to where we know that it's not real. Now, again, good for Steve Kirsch for being a, a leftist and double jabbed and regretting it, jabbing his whole family and getting a lot of followers and a lot of people, you know, reading his content. However, there's a, there's a lot of issues here with this, and he's one of the people who continues to perpetuate the virology lie. So here's what the uh, Twitter post, rather, from Vigilant Fox says. It says, devastating, Cleveland Clinic study reveals more COVID vax doses equals more COVID. That's not true. There's no such thing as COVID. The more you get jabbed with a biological weapon, the more damaged your DNA becomes, which means you have a compromised immune system, which means you have AIDS. That's what that means. It doesn't mean more COVID. There's no such thing. It then says, quote, Cleveland Clinic is rated the number two hospital in the world. And so when a study comes out of Cleveland Clinic, People take it seriously, very seriously, unquote, explained Steve Kirsch. And then it says, quote, and this study was devastating for the vaccine, not a vaccine. It's a bioweapon. It says what they found was that people who took four doses or more were about 3.5 times more likely to be infected with COVID than unvaccinated individuals. There's no such thing as COVID. There is poison. The poison was injected into people via flu shots and via other shots that they took in 2019. That's what was happening. And then these people were shedding on one another, getting on airplanes. The travel was way, way more busy back in 2019 than it was any other time. And then, of course, it all shut down in 2020. But that's what it was. And then, of course, the end of 2020 rolls around. New flu season, quote unquote, I'm using finger quotes because that's fake too, but new bioweapon flu shots get rolled out in the fall of 2020. And then the COVID jabs seemingly come out in the end of 2020, around November and December of 2020. And then right into 2021, right up to the present day. So here we are. It's not COVID. It's poisoning via shot and then permanently damaging your immune system. So give this audio a listen of Steve Kirsch. Again, he's wrong with all of this word usage, but give this a listen nonetheless. So uh, Cleveland Clinic is rated the number two hospital in the world. And so when a study comes out of Cleveland Clinic, people take it very seriously. And this study was devastating for the vaccine. And it wasn't intended to. What, they're, what they were trying to do was they were trying to show that the boosters have efficacy. And so they believe that there's a 30% vaccine efficacy for the booster shot. But as part of the paper, they showed figure two. And figure two says, hey, if everybody, if we start looking at 
a group of 51,000 employees of the Cleveland Clinic spread throughout the country. And we look at the number of vaccine doses that they have, that the risk of them being infected actually increases for every single dose of the vaccine that they get. You get one dose. If you are unvaccinated, you're less likely to get COVID. If you have one dose, you're more likely to get COVID. You have two doses, you're way more likely to get COVID. Three doses. And they show this consistently over a 90-day observation period for the 51,000 people. And they're all divided into different groups. It's all working-age healthcare workers, not people who are sick in the hospital. These are employees of the Cleveland Clinic. And they basically measured, well, you know, how, how does their vaccination status impact their risk of getting COVID? And they found the opposite of what we were being told. Again, it's not new. It's not really new. Oh gosh, a study came out from Cleveland Clinic. Great, great. It's a bioweapon. COVID doesn't exist. Let's arrive at the real answer. Let's think at a higher dimension than Steve Kirsch and everybody else who have these massive megaphones. I mean, my God, they all believe the, vir- the, the virus lie. They all believe it. I, I just, I can't get past why they won't bring it up or learn about it and then start talking about it. I just can't, uh, I can't wrap my head around it. Again, why aren't they talking to Thomas Cowan? He wrote a book about this very early on. So, I don't know. Lots of other voices out there who know that the virology lie continues to be perpetuated by these, again, seeming patriots who are on the seeming right side of things, even though he's double-jabbed Steve Kirsch, but whatever. There's this then, which I wanted to bring to your attention to, because Robert F. Kennedy's basically doing the same thing. He's continuing to perpetuate the virus lie. Does he know that viruses aren't real? I don't know. But when somebody like Dr. McCullough says these aren't the conversations we should be having, we shouldn't be talking about whether or not viruses are real or not, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what should be happening. That should always be happening. So this again is from Chief Nerd at The Chief Nerd on Twitter. And, they, and it says, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on what the CDC doesn't tell you about the flu shot. Quote, people who take the flu shot are protected against that strain of flu, but they are 4.4 times more likely to get a non-flu infection. It injures your immune system so that you're more likely to get a non-flu viral upper respiratory infection. Unquote. Now, he's talking with, in this audio clip, Patrick Bet-David, and of all people, Alan Dershowitz. I would like somebody to pay me as to why anybody is talking to Alan Dershowitz about anything. Epstein's lawyer, he's got pedo written all over his face. He belongs behind bars, if not worse than that. He's a pathological liar. He helped get OJ off, for Christ's sake. Alan Dershowitz is the worst. I'm serious. I'm almost, I almost should start a podcast that's just titled that. You know, uh, Dr. Sean Brooks's next podcast, uh, Alan Dershowitz is the worst. Have you seen this podcast? Have you heard about this? 
All he does is make fun of Alan Dershowitz all the time. He does deep dives on Alan Dershowitz. Alan's disgusting. Uh, okay, so sorry. See, he just that's how much he distracts me. He's so gross. He takes my train of thought completely in a in a just weird direction. Again, everything that Robert Kennedy said here, and I fully understand what's going on. I believe and and agree with bioclandestine when he says Robert F. Kennedy is on on the trail right now, the presidential trail, so to speak, to help wake people up. Certainly when it comes to not jabbing yourself, and certainly when it comes to waking up to the corrupt medical industry. The problem I have is that he's peddling things that still aren't real, whether he knows it or not. Flu doesn't exist. And that one quote right there, people who take the flu shot are protected against that strain of flu. That's not true. It's a fairy tale. The whole flu thing is a fairy tale. It's just poison. And he actually proves it in his own quotation. It says again, he's a person who takes the flu shot is four times, four and a half times more likely to get a non-flu infection. That's not true. There is no flu. You're more likely to poison yourself and have a compromised immune system. It just so happens that he references upper respiratory infection. That's one of many infections that a person can have from being poisoned. So give this audio listen in three, two, one. In a million years, I would not take the flu shot. And I'll tell you why, because this is what Cochrane and BMJ have found. People who take the flu shot are protected against that strain of flu. But they're 4.4 times more likely to get a non-flu infection. And you might find, and a lot of people do, that they get the flu shot and then they get sick. They're usually not getting the flu. They're getting something that is indistinguishable from the flu because the flu shot gives you something called pathogenic priming. It, it, it injures your immune system so that you're more likely to get a non-flu viral upper respiratory infection. In fact, the Pentagon published a story, and you can cite this, it's by Wolf, W-O-L-F-E, in January of this year, in which they said that the flu shot not only primes you for flu, but it primes you for coronavirus. If you get, they gave flu, they had a placebo group, and they had a vaccine group because they wanted for many military readiness to see if the flu shot was prophylactic against coronavirus. What they found is actually the people who got the flu shot were 36% more likely to get coronavirus. And that's not, a, that's not a lone study. We found six other major studies that say the same thing. If you get the flu shot, you're more likely to get coronavirus. You know, we're, look, all you have to do, Alan, and this is what Cochran said, is look what's happened to longevity in the elderly since we started mandating the flu shot to elderly people. Those are the people, their, their life expectancy has dramatically gone down as the flu shot proliferated. And if you see, you know, the people who died during the COVID vaccine, during the COVID crisis, many, and there's no science on this, but it's observational, it tended to be people who got their flu shots, people who were in nursing home who all get flu shots, people who are first responders who get flu shots. I don't understand the implications of your position. If, if you're right, why wouldn't it follow that the flu shot should be illegal? You said it's criminal 
to mandate the flu shot because it kills people in my age category. So if you had to cast the deciding vote, if you had decided to run for Congress instead of doing the great work you've done over so many years, and you were the deciding vote in the United States Senate, and there was a bill to outlaw the flu shot, wouldn't, why wouldn't you vote for it? If you, you know, think I'm, kind of, I'm, like, I'm, I'm kind of a free market. I, I think, you know, what I'm against mandates. I think okay. that, you know, there may be situations where, you know, that, where that product might do some good for somebody, but I don't, I just don't believe it should be mandated. I don't, you know, I wouldn't think, for example, that a, um, that, uh, Viagra should be mandated to every human being on the planet, right? But there may be somebody who says, you know, I want to take that medication, let them do it. But, but, I'm not, gonna, but let's not it. order everybody to do it. See how that went off the rails real quick? Why are we talking about Viagra with uh, Alan Dershowitz in the room? That's not a good idea. That's just my two cents, but you know. Yikes. Uh, again, Kennedy brought up the, the basis and, and the entire basic nature of the truth and also the fairy tale all at the same time. There's no flu. There never has been. Influenza is a lie. There is just the injectable poison that people take, and then they shed that on other people. So, yes. To summarize quickly, all he had to say was, if you inject yourself with things, poisons, because that's what they are, you are more likely to compromise your immune system permanently and die. That's it. You're poisoning yourself to death. And again, he jumps in with, well, but I'm I'm against mandates. If it came down to my vote to get rid of the flu shot altogether, And then he backtracks and he says, well, it might be beneficial to some people. No, no, that's incorrect. It isn't beneficial to anybody because you can't have a poison be beneficial to a person for something as a treatment method to a thing that doesn't exist. I mean, jam this knife into your chest to prevent yourself from tripping on a stone and having a bird poop on your head. It, it, it makes no sense at all. It makes no sense whatsoever. One thing has nothing to do with the other. Not to mention, I'll tell you what, Alan Dershowitz again, this is the same guy who said the government has the right to inject you with a COVID shot or any shot if they deem it necessary for the health and safety of the citizenry, and that if you refuse to, they have the right to take you to jail. That was Alan Dershowitz back during the jab height and the jab hysteria, only to then later backtrack and say, well, you know, I I don't know, I don't know. See, Dershowitz sees a few bucks start to uh, start to disappear, and then he changes his opinion. Disgusting. It's beyond disgusting. So the, the, the conversation, again, went off the rails there at the end, started talking about things that don't even matter. Not to mention, 
Dershowitz being a lawyer, you'd think he'd know how to read. He could reach behind him, I'm sure, on that giant bookshelf of his with all of his menorahs and everything else that he has, and he could grab Black, Black's Law Dictionary, pull it out, and see that the word mandate doesn't mean mandatory. It means voluntary participation. I've brought up this example before, I think, in the past. It would be like a school district mandating that there be a hat day. Everybody remembers hat day when they went to school, right? It usually would be on a Friday or something like that. Everybody gets to wear a hat. It doesn't mean you have to wear a hat. It means the school district is mandating hats to be worn on that day, and this is the final part of that sentence, if you choose to do so. Because if you don't choose to do so, that's fine. You're not going to get kicked out because you're not wearing a hat. It's ridiculous. Again, these people don't hear themselves talk. You can't bounce around these fairy tales time and time again, rehashing them and not expect more knowledgeable people such as ourselves to listen to your mouths move, watch your mouths move anyway, and hear these things coming out of it and not pick up on the hypocrisy, the inconsistency, and the fairy tale. It's outrageous. Cut to the quick. That's all. Viruses aren't real. They don't exist. Medicine is poison, by and large, certainly injectable. Vaccines are poison. They are designed to make people sick, perpetually get people sick. They can read all the, all the studies they want. Compromises your immune system by 4.5% or by this percent. We know that already. We know that. It kills people, too. You'd think that would be enough. You'd think that would be enough for people to understand. Which now brings me to this. Well, I'm going to mention this just very quickly before I get into some more storytelling, because again, this is a this is another observation that I've made. But first, I want to I want to get into this um, Operation Nightingale. This was brought up back in January of this year, and for some reason, Tom Rents is bringing this back up yet again, and he's changed the headline a little bit, and it's misleading. He's basically said that. The people administering the COVID jabs weren't real doctors, and that the nurses weren't real nurses, rather. Um, and that's because of what was deemed Operation Nightingale by the Department of Justice, who ended up finding out that a bunch of these individuals were getting their nursing credentials illegally, that they weren't actual nurses, so to speak. They were partially trained, but not fully trained. Anyway, Tom Rents has brought that back up again and again with a different headline, as if to say that they were all actors or, or, or something like that. Of course, they, they weren't actors. They were just poorly trained or partially trained. And we know why this took place. And of course, a bunch of them were arrested along with the, the group that put them all together. Again, you can go and look up Operation uh, Nightingale on YouTube. It'll be the first DOJ thing that pops up. It's about six minutes long, if memory serves. but. They arrested, again, these individuals, and, and we know why. We know why these organizations had to pump out more nurses and doctors, and it was because they needed more individuals to administer shots and administer testing. So the chances of you encountering one of these fraudulent nurses would probably be during all of those drive-through testing spots and those drive-through injection spots. 
they weren't real nurses. They were just told, here's how you administer the test. Here's how you inject somebody. You stick the needle in the vial, you suck up this much, and then you squirt a little bit out of the top to get some of the air out, and then you ram it into their arm, and then you squirt it in, rub it, you know, give them a sucker and a Batman Band-Aid, and everything will be fine. And then down the road they go, and they crash their car because, you know, they're jabbed dead. Just another vaccident. But that's that's the real crux of the issue. They were doing it because they needed they needed the well, what's the phrase? Uh, they needed the foot soldiers, so to speak. They needed the individuals out there to handle the masses who were lining up gullibly, I might add, to of course take these jabs and take these fraudulent tests, and that those individuals basically just had two things to do as they were playing nurse. So, yeah, uncertified people jabbing people during this entire fraudulent worldwide criminal enterprise shouldn't shock anybody, um, but, it, but it is certainly another avenue of something that has actually occurred, and apparently a bunch of them got caught and a bunch of them got arrested. So that's a good thing. I want to bring this up also. Uh, this is an email here that was sent to me by a listener of the show. They know who they are, and thank you very much for sending it. Specifically, of course, dealing with Canada also and what Canada is allegedly uh, attempting to do under Justin Castro over there. And this is the platform that they're running on where, of course, they're forcing the jabs on people or would be forcing the jabs on people to travel in between the provinces of Canada, along with, of course, other forms of travel as well, including forced jabs for government workers again, because apparently they think that worked the first time. Um, They said, hi, just listened to your Monday podcast. Very informative and enjoyable. Thank you. I've been thinking about the worst case scenario, which I don't think was mentioned. According to Dr. Dolores Cahill, who have, who, uh, I'm sorry, all who have had one of the mRNA juice will be gone in three to five years. I hope she's wrong. I guess any of us don't want to think about that, that it's so horrific. That's true. In fact, when, when I mentioned that publicly, the, that individuals would be gone in three to five years, I was directly referencing Professor Cahill, and she was pulling that, if memory serves, from HIV statistics, that individuals who have compromised immune systems completely uh, tend to make it again in a three to five year time span. And I, I believe she also was referencing the simple fact regarding the number of ailments that these shots, of course, have already caused that uh, that seemed like a viable timeline for her. But I mean, I agree. I don't, uh, it, it is horrific. And I fully understand that, that people don't want to think about that. Uh, they continued and they said, just found out that Trudy, Trudeau, and the Liberal Party of Canada have said that if they win the next election, they will make vaccine passports mandatory for traveling between provinces and also for all federal government of Canada employees. Since the elections are all fixed, I guess this is what they are all going to try to implement next in Canada. I hope Cliff High is correct that the people worldwide will rise up to end the tyranny. Unquote. Yeah, I sure hope so. I can't. Uh, I can't imagine people willfully voting for that other than using fraudulent voting machines and uh, simply switching the votes against Trudeau and, and for Trudeau. I, I can't 
I can't imagine Canada going through with Justin Trudeau yet again. I just can't imagine the people standing for it yet again. I mean, the citizens of Canada should be paying attention to what they've done in the past because they've made great strides in the past. Not just the trucker thing, but all of the anti-jab protests that existed, all of the demonstrations, all the speeches, all of that, which was long before the trucker thing. So, I don't know. They've made great strides, without a doubt. I hope they, I hope they keep it up and keep the pressure on. A uh, couple of peer-reviewed articles here, hot off the presses. This is Nature.com, NPJ in their uh, vaccines journal. May 2nd, it is titled Risk Assessment of Retinal Vascular Oculation, I'm sorry, Occlusion, I can read, after COVID-19 vaccination. Here's the abstract. It says coronavirus disease 2019 or COVID-19, jokes on them, that's not what it stands for. Vaccines are associated with several ocular manifestations. Emerging evidence has been reported, however, the causality between the two is debatable. No, it's not. Did you have an eye problem before the jabs? And you took the jabs and, well, what's happened to your eyes? Has your current, as your previous eye problem gotten worse? Or did you not have one before and now you have one? Sorry, I digress. It continues. It says, we aimed to investigate the risk of retinal vascular occlusion after COVID-19 vaccination. This retrospective cohort study used the Trinex-X global network and included individuals vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccine between January 2020 and December of 2022. We excluded individuals with a history of retinal vascular occlusion to those who used any systemic medication that could potentially affect blood coagulation prior to vaccination to compare the risk of retinal vascular occlusion. We employed multivariable adjusted Cox proportional hazards models after performing a one-to-one propensity score matching between the vaccinated and unvaccinated cohorts. Individuals with COVID-19 vaccination had a higher risk of all forms of retinal vascular occlusion in two years after vaccination with an overall hazard ratio of 2.19, a 95% confidence interval of 2.0 to 2.39. The cumulative incidence of retinal vascular occlusion was significantly higher in the vaccinated cohort compared to the unvaccinated cohort, two years and 12 weeks after vaccination. The risk of retinal vascular occlusion significantly increased during the first two weeks after vaccination and persisted for 12 weeks. Additionally, individuals with first and second dose of the BNT162B2 and the mRNA1273 had significantly increased risk of retinal vascular occlusion two years following vaccination, while no disparity was detected between brand and dose of vaccination, of vaccines rather. It says this large multicenter study strengthens the findings of previous cases. Retinal vascular occlusion may not be a coincidental finding after COVID-19 vaccination. May not be coincidental. No kidding. No kidding. Here's the next one. 
onlinelibrary.wiley.com in the Pediatric Blood and Cancer Journal. I will read the title to this. It's basically a response to a previous study, I think, but I'll read the uh, the title and then skip right down sort of to the concluding paragraph. It is titled Cerebral Venous Sinus Thrombosis after a third dose of the mRNA COVID-19 vaccine in an adolescent. If memory serves, this was a 14-year-old female presenting with a one-day history of persistent headache, vomiting, paresthesia, if I'm saying that right, probably not, and uh, bilateral of the bilateral extremities, para, uh, paralysis maybe, I'm not sure, and seizure. So she reported no recent infection, including COVID-19, but took the Pfizer jabs, three of them, and here's the conclusion. It says this case may add to the evidence supporting a possible relationship between mRNA vaccines and thrombotic events and raises the awareness among pediatric healthcare providers regarding this rare, critical adverse event, early recognition facilities, early treatment to prevent complications. Further investigations are needed to establish whether thrombotic events are merely incidental or are mRNA-based vaccine-associated complications. Well, I think we know, don't we? I think we know. How many healthy adolescents with no health problems experience partial paralysis, seizures, and constant headaches when they never had them in the past, and yet they take three doses of a bioweapon and all of a sudden it happens? Weird. Beyond weird. Okay. Here's another one. This is from globalresearch.com. CA. Again, I'm just going to hit you with the title here. This is from Dr. William Mackis. I've read some of his stuff before. Children 5 to 12 years old who were injured or permanently disabled by Pfizer or Moderna COVID-19 mRNA vaccines. 25 horror stories every patient should have in their legal files. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to go through all of these stories, but uh, it's graphic. There are pictures associated with this, and you need to you need to see this, and you need to show this to anybody who doesn't know what the hell is going on. You cannot look at these pictures and say to yourself that it is not a biological weapon. It's awful. Um, I'm going to link this in the description below, just to make you aware. If you're curious on sharing this one, I will add this also to the along with those two previous articles that I just read from. I will add those to the list, the ever-growing list on my website of, uh, of peer-reviewed journals and other articles associated with this. And one last thing before I go, chlorine dioxide. Now, I've brought this up in the past, and for fortunately, thanks to Kim Carter, uh, she has sent me a website where you can acquire pre-mixed chlorine dioxide, so you don't have to mix it yourself. All of the descriptions and protocol are, are actually in the description of the website, which I will also link in the description below, and I'll also put on my website under medical documents. 
so that you can, again, acquire this if you're interested. You can acquire a jar for about 50 some odd dollars, and again, it detoxifies the body. There's a way you should take it, of course, with water. And uh, I'm not going to tell you what that is, but you can you can look it up. And I will also have on my website a book that describes the protocol as to how much to take per volume of water. Um, you know, how many drops, which is one drop is a milliliter if memory serves. So in a 12-ounce glass, how many drops do you put in? Things of that nature. So Again, there's a lot of research out there about chlorine dioxide, which sort of brings me back to an old story about Christopher Key, that Christopher Key was basically stealing money from people, claiming that he was going to uh, give them free chlorine dioxide if they just asked. And then if people gave him some money after he would ask for money again, he still wouldn't deliver any chlorine dioxide. Uh, He, of course, stole 25 bucks from me, and he's taken money from other people, and now he's claiming that if he brings up chlorine dioxide, that he'll go to jail. Well, that's not true. He was probably told, stop stealing from people or you'll go to jail. Either way, I will include all of those documents and those links on my website under the medical documents section. It'll clearly say chlorine dioxide and, and you'll be able to see it right there. And in the last episode of the Five Docs 2 with Tenpenny and Pilevsky and all of them, they were talking about chlorine dioxide for about six straight minutes. Um, it's, you know, it's interesting and, and they've used it. Many of them have used it. Lee Merritt's used it. Larry Pilevsky's used it. Dr. Madea's has used it. And, uh, they claim that again, they, they, they see improvements. They feel improvements. So cure for cancer, probably among copious amounts of other things that were, that, that we are figuring out along the way also. In fact, I'll end with this too. This was this was good, and if you haven't seen this, I highly recommend it. Go and watch Amazing Polly's latest video that has the title Life Extension in it. I, I don't think I've mentioned this um, on the show here before yet, but Life Extension was one of those nu- uh, nutritious websites, or um, nu- nutrient supplement, I should say, websites that I've promoted on the show. I don't get paid by them or anything. But... Um, I've taken the links off of off of there because they have some rather nefarious ties, as it turns out, certainly with at least one individual. And Amazing Polly, believe it or not, goes right into that rabbit hole of life extension and this particular individual who is associated with life extension. And when she showed her his face on on her show, I immediately recognized his face because it's it's I mean, you can't mistake his face. He has a very distinct beard and a distinct long hair, and I knew, I knew that I knew the guy's face because I've gone through the Life Extension magazine that I receive, and it was the exact same guy. So he's a part of this uh, apparent conglomerate that's telling people that they have the cure for everything that ails you, and they can extend your life and uh, and and make you have eternal life. And she sort of takes it to that nth degree because she claims, again, that, that he does the exact same thing. And I have no reason to doubt Amazing Polly on that, but Life Extension still exists as a website, and they have natokinase, and they have lots of other good things that I think people should have, but there's no need for me to promote it necessarily. You know where to get this kind of stuff anytime you want, and yeah, there you go. But I will have, again, those chlorine dioxide links on my website if you're interested in checking that out. With that said, I will catch you on Friday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. 
Take care and God bless.